To prepare our thoughts for Jay's lesson this morning, we'll be, speaking, we'll be reading from the book of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. This passage speaks to us of the greatest commandment. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. All right. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody here today. And it's also good to know that many of our members and our friends are joining us in worship today uh, online. So um, I have a news article here that I noticed a couple of weeks ago. Okay. The title goes, Super Fans Excited for Winnipeg Blue Bombers 2021 Season. I know many of you guys are excited that CFL is back on. But you know what attracted me to this news article? was not the fact that CFL is back on. The fact that it said superfans on there. What in the world is a superfan? I, I know what a Winnipeg Blue Bombers fan is, but what is a Winnipeg Blue Bombers superfan? Right? Is, is, is a superfan somebody who has, you know, the, the, the license plate number, the Blue, the Blue Bombers license plate? I'm not sure. Is a superfan somebody who paints their nails with blue and gold, with the Blue Bombers logo on it. Not sure. But when I read this article, it's about this one Winnipeg Blue Bombers superfan, and she describes herself in a way that gave me an idea on what a superfan is supposed to be like. This is it. That's the article, and this is her description of herself. Her name's Tina, and Tina describes herself as that. Right, right here. We're zooming on it. She says about herself, everybody who knows me just through work, acquaintances, if you ask anybody who knows me, she writes, they'll know that I'm a bomber fan. Finding something you're passionate about translates into so many parts of your life. It becomes a lifestyle, essentially. Did you guys see that? A super fan is somebody who's so passionate about the blue bombers, right? That it doesn't matter if she, if she tells anyone that she's a bomber fan, they would just know. If you know this person, they're passionate about the Blue Bombers, okay? And the passion that she has for the team translates into so many parts of her life. She didn't even have to try. You know why? Because it is a way of life for her. See, when I describe that, does that make you, you know... Um, equate that with our life as Christians? I know it did. This translates to our discipleship, right? Because God dis uh, has desired for us to make our discipleship encompass every part of your life. Not just a few parts of our life, but every part of our life. We want discipleship to be you know, to encompass 
our whole selves. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Because of that, I've entitled this lesson, Holistic Discipleship. Okay, the word holistic talks about the whole, not just the parts. Okay, when we say holistic, we mean looking at the, at the, at the individual trees while not losing sight of the whole forest. When we say holistic discipleship, we mean that we endeavor to decide every single day to allow God to give us a Jesus-shaped heart and a Jesus-shaped life in our home, in our work, in our leisure, in our free time, uh, in our mental, emotional, spiritual, financial, recreational, relational, and spiritual and physical life. That is what holistic discipleship is. But wait, why are we talking about this today? We are talking about this today because in our current sermon series, we're talking about relationships and discipleship. Okay? So, um, we have looked so, we have, we have seen so far, um, things like how do we serve one another? How do we, how do we, how do we stay true to the commands in the Word of God to, you know, to, to do things, you know, the one another commands? How do we live that out? So this morning, I believe the way for us to really be the servant that God wants us to be, the, the, the way that we can be the disciples that Jesus desires for us to be is through holistic discipleship because it is key to complete and healthy relationships with God and with others. So we're going to do that. And today, what, what, how we're going to do is we're going to talk about the what, the why, and the how of holistic discipleship. We're going to talk about what it is. What exactly is holistic discipleship? And number two, why? Why are we even talking about this? Is, does this have a biblical basis? Is this theologically sound? Or is this just something that, you know, Jay thought out and you know what? It sounds cool. It's like the fat of the day, right? We're going to talk about that because that's very important. And then number three, how does it apply to our lives every day? Okay, so number one, we're going to talk about what. What is holistic discipleship? So, holistic discipleship. We're going to first talk about discipleship. We're going to, we are going to remind ourselves what discipleship is. And I know we've, we've seen this before in our, in our sermon series because this year we are refocusing our attention. We started, we're, we're starting to focus our attention again on, on, on discipleship and intentionally really um, uh, getting into uh, making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. So discipleship really essentially at its core can be found in this particular invitation, this particular call that Jesus had to his first disciples, right, by the, by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus calls his first disciples and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This call still stands today. This is the essence of our discipleship. And we've said we, uh, discipleship has three parts because of this. The essence of discipleship literally is following Jesus. Follow me. Right? And the next part of discipleship, very important as well, is transformation. We need to allow Jesus to make us into the types of disciples that he wants us to be. Disciples who are mature, that make other disciples. Okay? And then the final part of discipleship, according to this, to this particular call 
that Jesus has for everyone is that we partake and participate in Christ's mission. What is the mission of Christ? Why did he come here? To establish the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God for? Uh, so, so that this new covenant can be established. And this new covenant is for our salvation, that he can bring us back to God. And that's what fishers of people are all about, leading other people back to Jesus. And again, when we talk about leading people to Jesus, I'm not just talking about, you know, you know, all of us going out to the malls or going out to the grocery stores and telling people about Jesus. That's good. But that comes later as we grow. We start with the people around us, with our children, with our spouses, with our friends, the people that we're really close to, right? We want to be super fans. You know what I'm saying? Of Jesus. That this whole thing, this whole faith that we have in God, this whole passion that we have for God, just exudes out of us. That it translates into every part of our lives. That people know who we are all about. That people don't initially equate us, our identity, into the things that we do in life. Oh, that's Jay. Like, uh, he, uh, uh, he, he likes to draw or he likes to do calligraphy. No, that's Jay. He loves God. Right? That is what we want to do. Now, where does the word holistic come into this whole place? Holistic is from the Greek word holos. And it means whole. Entire. Not just the parts. When we say holistic discipleship, it means that we understand our discipleship as a, uh, we understand the many different parts of our discipleship, but by, by looking at the whole. Right? So how does that translate? Holistic discipleship then is we will follow Jesus in a holistic manner. When we follow Jesus, we don't just follow him in the things that we like to follow him in. We follow him in every aspect of our life. When it comes to our work, when it comes to where we live, when it comes to all the decisions that we make, we follow him. In our transformation, in the way that Jesus changes our lives, it has to be holistic as well. It has to take into account the whole, not just the things that we want to give to God, not the things that we want to keep for ourselves. It has to be holistic. And when we bring and lead people to God, we use everything that we have to lead people to God. Our skills, our talents, the things that God has blessed us with. We mold all of our lives around us to know that, hey, my life here is service. And we mold all that so that we can bring people to God, to Jesus. And again, not just the people that we don't know yet, First and foremost, the people that we love and know. These are our children. These are our family. These are the people that we love, our friends. Right? And that is holistic discipleship. But holistic discipleship as well takes into account the two things that we need in this life. You know, we can say that there are two needs. Right? Two types of needs that people have, that we have. One is the ultimate need. Okay? What is our ultimate need? Salvation. We need, to, we need to do something. There has to be something that's done for our sin. Because sin is the thing that separates us from God. That really breaks our relationships with God. And, you know, and it hinders our relationship with others. But you know we can't do anything about that. That's why that's our ultimate need. 
right? There's also our intimate personal needs. So human beings, we, we have ultim- an ultimate need and we have intimate needs. Did you guys hear the prayer requests here? Those are our intimate needs. We're getting sick, right? People are lonely, especially during the pandemic. We have emotional grief. We have relational problems. People are looking for jobs. Intimate needs. But with holistic discipleship, brothers and sisters, we are acknowledging that we have a God who cares about the entire person. Who cares that this entire person has spiritual needs, ultimate need, and intimate needs, physical needs. That he takes care of both of them. Right? That is what he does. That is what he, that's what he did. And this God, when we know him as the God who, who, who cares for the whole individual, not just parts of that person, if we know God in that regard, then we will let other people know about this God who takes care of our needs. This God who not only cares for our soul, this God also cares for our marriages because he is able to save our marriages. He is able to save us from our addictions, from the things that we struggle with. And that is the gist of this thing that we call discipleship as a whole, this holistic discipleship. It is becoming like Jesus in every aspect of our life. Now, why do we talk about this now? What is the biblical basis for this? Is this even theologically sound? Do we even see this in Scripture? You know, I understand that words are important. Very important. Because the Word of God is important. And I understand that in our tradition, we hold true to what uh, one of our key Uh, um, personalities in the restoration movement has said before. Alexander Campbell, he has this slogan. I'm pretty sure you all remember. One of his slogans is calling Bible things by Bible names. I love that. I love his intent for that slogan. He intends to bring back the essence of the words that were used in Scripture that have long been forgotten. Specifically, he wanted to bring back the word baptism. That it's not just sprinkling. It's not just something that you do because you wanted to show people that you're saved. It's actually a gateway to the kingdom of, the gateway to the kingdom of God. We got, we get, it's part of our salvation. And he wanted to bring that back. Right? And he wanted to bring back our identity as Christians and disciples. We're not just whatever denomination we are. We, we just wanted to be, he just wanted us to be Christians and disciples that is what he intended for that slogan but if we're not careful we will overextend the point of that slogan do you guys understand what i mean i know words are important but at the same time as well words are just really words it is it is a symbol it is it is something that we use to understand concepts right because if we overextend that slogan you know, the slogan, calling Bible things by Bible names, we will not use it at all anymore. You know why? Because the word Bible is not in the Bible. Do you guys understand that? The word Bible is not, if we want to stick true with that, we will say, calling 
scripture things by scripture names or calling God's words, calling, calling things of God's word by God's words names. You understand? It's the same thing. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. But we understand the concept is ripe in the Bible. The Bible tells us that our God is one God in three persons and one essence. Jesus, uh, God, the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And we understand as well that the word holistic is not in Scripture. We understand that. But the concept that our discipleship has to encompass everything that we are, everything in our lives, is scriptural. We see that in Scripture. And today I want to start with our Scripture reading. Right? Jesus is asked, what is the number one commandment in the Bible? He says, he goes back to the Old Testament. He said, the Shema, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. If that is not the entire person, I don't know what is. You're only going to love God when you're in the church building? When you have the Bible in front of you? When your preacher is with you? When you're having church people over? You're only going to love God when you, when, when you feel like it? When you're having problems? When you can't find a job? When your parents are sick? When your wife or husband is sick? No. We will love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. We understand that the heart is known as the seat of all emotions. Yeah? We understand that the soul is the seat of our passion, of our um, will, of our devotion. We understand that the mind is, 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 is representative of um, our intellect of our cognitive abilities, of our reasoning. And we understand that strength is representative of our physicality, of our energy, of our human body. But the problem is we make a distinction. We have this duality, right? That, that, that people say, well, you know what? Physical is less. Physical is bad. Spiritual is good. You know, the Bible doesn't talk about it that way, Right? The Bible doesn't talk about physical things being bad. You know what the Bible talks about as bad? Is worldliness is bad. And carnality is bad. But when the Bible talks about spirituality, it doesn't talk about, it doesn't pit physicality and spirituality together. It doesn't. Spirituality literally just means being moved by the Spirit. For the most part, when the Bible talks about that, that's what it talks about. Right? Why is, you know, like sometimes we think of, we think of physical and spiritual like Gnostics think of spiritual and physical. Do you guys know Gnosticism? The early church wanted to get, do away with that. And if we're not careful, we're going to have that seep in into the church once again today. Right? Gnostics believe that only spiritual things are good. Everything, everything physical is bad. But it's not so, because the human being is both physical and spiritual, right? There's even some theologians that say everything is spiritual, right? Whatever you do in your body has a spiritual effect, because spiritual is not more important than physical. They're equal. 
if, if, if physical is bad, then why did God allow his entire complete being to be represented by Jesus in his physical body? Why does the Holy Spirit live in us and call our bodies what? His temple. Right? We are complete beings with complete needs. Right? This is what God calls us to do, is to allow us to serve Him and love Him in every aspect of our lives. Completely. Not just one or two aspects. Completely. This is the reason why the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed. When we say whatever you do, it means everything that you do. And I love how the Apostle Paul broke it down into two things. In word and in deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Our discipleship is complete. Right? Let's not compartmentalize it. Let us look at our entire selves and give everything to God. Okay? Now you're probably thinking, well, that's not good enough, Jay. We need to know what Jesus did because Jesus is our example. We do what Jesus did. Fair. Okay? But let me tell you that Jesus, what he did in this earth, is complete. His ministry was both in word and in deed. He preached the word of God and he, he complemented it at the same time with actions. Okay? Let's look at that. The beginning of his ministry, Jesus says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. And again, remember, Jesus' objective is to bring in the word of God, uh, the, bring in the kingdom of God, the reign of God in the world, you know, through his death. And soon after he said this, you know, like if you look at it, you can look at it now if you have your Bibles, you can look at it later after this. This is when, shortly after this, this is when he called his first disciples. Remember, we looked at that. He said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And now there's Jesus and four other people with him, right? He has disciples now. And this is what they did the first thing. Look, look at the next verse that we're going to look at. In verse 21, they, Jesus and his disciples, and his first disciples, went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, what did he do? He ministered in word. Um, and, and he began to teach. Okay, and then we, we, we uh, and, and people were amazed at his teaching. What happens next? He complemented it with work, with actions. Look at what he did. Just then, a man in, in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, you know, acknowledging Jesus as the Lord. Right? He drove out evil spirits. Right? And what else does he do next? Um, Mark 1, 29 to 30, as soon as they left the synagogue. So after they left that synagogue, after he taught and after he drove off the evil spirit, they went to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. What did Jesus do? He cures her. Okay? So what did they do the rest of the day? Look at what Jesus did the rest of the day. The rest of the day, this is what Jesus did. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. No rest for Jesus here. You know what he does? Like we would normally do the next day? Uh, if, you, if you look at it in your Bibles, Jesus woke up early the next day to be with his father in prayer. 
like what he would normally do. But then his disciples were looking for him. Jesus, where are you? Jesus, everybody's looking for you. Come out. People are sick. They, they need you to heal them. And what Jesus said, what did Jesus say after that? Jesus said this, Mark 1.38, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Now you're probably thinking, ah, Jay, look at that. Right? Jesus says that it's not his intent to heal people. He just wants to preach. That's what it says there. That's, that is the popular reading of this passage. Right? Jesus came here to, to just do word, not deed, just word. But it's not, it's not. If you look at the context, what does he do afterwards, after this? Two verses after this, you know what he does? And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. If Jesus intended to say, you know, I don't want to heal. I just want to preach. He's not, he wouldn't have done this. What he meant to say was, hey, I'm an itinerant preacher. I just don't want to be in one place. I want the whole of Israel to know about the word of God. I'm going to travel. I don't want to just preach here. I want to also go there, here, 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 and do works here, there, there, and there. That's what he meant by that. And we see it in the context. And we know what happened in Mark chapter 2. Do you guys remember? After, like, after this, he was, he was teaching at a house. It was all crowded. You know what happened? Somebody was lowered down to Jesus to be healed. The person who couldn't walk. Remember that? And then it continued on and on and on. This is why Jesus said in Luke 4.18, this is his mission. This is his objective. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. Now, I'm not saying that holistic discipleship means we need to like miraculously like heal people. That was the gift of Jesus that He used to usher in the kingdom of Jesus. What I'm saying is Jesus ministered in word and in deed. And that's what we do. We don't just preach to people and say, hey, tell them about the Word of God. Yes, we do that. But we need to serve them with their needs. Because when people are hungry, it's going to be hard for them to listen to the Word of God. Right? When people are scared, when people have, um, have security needs, they need, to, they need that to be met before they can, they, before they can, uh, they can really understand what God has in store for them. We need to understand that. And in Luke 7.22, you know, when uh, I'm, I'm going to go back there. Because I don't want you to read ahead. Okay, Luke 7.22, uh, uh, John the Baptist was saying, well, I wonder if Jesus is really the Messiah. So what he did was he sent his disciples to go to talk, talk to Jesus. Hey, guys, go to Jesus. Ask him if he's really the Messiah. Just confirm with him that he is. And you know what he said, Jesus? Jesus had this as an answer to confirm that he was the Messiah. Jesus replied to the messengers, the disciples of John the Baptist, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind received sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Word and deed, the kingdom of God is going to be established. Why? Because sin is our ultimate need. 
Redemption from sin. And sin does not only affect one part of our life. It, it affects everything in our life. It affects us emotionally, relationally, mentally, physically, financially, everything. And Jesus is saying that this is the salvation that I want for you. Holistic, entire. God, Jesus is here to give us life and life to the full. And finally, this is, this is the final reason why I, I, we believe that discipleship is complete. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, the Apostle Paul tells the Thessalonians, now, praise, to the, praise to God for the Thessalonians, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right? So, why? Because God saves us from all effects of sin and commands us to love Him in every aspect of our life. Now, how? I don't want to spend a lot of time in this one. Because this one really, but this one is very important. Because we can know all the theology, right? But, but it doesn't matter what we know. It matters how we use it to glorify God and for us to become like Jesus in our life. So how, 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 do, we, how do we apply this in our lives? What does this have to do with us today? Um, three things. It's very important in our ministries. Word and deed. We need to tell people about Jesus and we need to show people about Jesus. We can't just tell people about Jesus. We need to show people that we are being changed by what we are telling them. Because that is the number one thing that will really turn them, that will really catch their attention. Right? If, I, if, if you're a Christian, then I want to be a Christian too, so to speak. That's what we want to tell people. Because that's what Jesus did. He ministered in word and in deed. Right? That's what we want to do as well. In our relationship with one another, that's what we want to do as well. We want to not only look at people and see, well, this is what you need. We don't want to, we don't want to identify people, but by their needs. We want to identify people by who they are and their potential is in the kingdom of God. Holistic, right? Because they are, each and every one of us has a part in the church, has a part in the kingdom. That is one thing that we need to do. But most importantly, this should change the way that we view our discipleship in our personal faith, and in our relationship with God. Okay? Um, remember this verse, Matthew 16, 24. Right? He's talking to people about, well, if you really want to be my disciple, this is what you need to do. Okay? If you want to be my disciples, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I want to focus on this one right here. Take up their cross. A lot of, people, a lot of times people say, well, you know, this means that you know, we all have our own, our own burdens to bear. It's, di it's, different to, it's different with every person. It's true that that's the case. But it's not really what this verse is saying, right? I mean, I'm not saying it's not true. It's just that this verse is actually just saying, if you want to take up your cross, it means you have to die. Jesus is saying, if you want to be disciples, right, my call to you is to follow me and to die. That is what this verse is saying. And when we die, it's complete. 
We don't just die on one aspect of our life and then live in an... You know what I'm saying? It's complete. And I think the reason why it's hard for people to grasp the notion of discipleship is because we compartmentalize it. We think, if I'm in the church building, then I'm a disciple. If I'm not there, then I don't have to do it. And so we forget. We forget that discipleship is complete. It's entire. We can compartmentalize it. And when we do, there's a risk that we complete. We forget about it completely. That's why um, uh, this individual, a theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, wrote in 1963, he wrote this in, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. It remains an abstract idea, a myth that has a place for the fatherhood of God. We believe in God, but we don't believe in Jesus. But, but amidst Christ as the living son, because we don't want him to be Lord over us. We want to believe in God, but when Jesus says this, follow me, make me your Lord, or no, I want me to make me Lord, right? And when that happens, Bonhoeffer said, there is trust in God, but no following of Christ. And then in the early 2000s, Dallas Willard reflected on this idea. Dallas Willard is, a, is an American theologian and philosopher, and he wrote this book called The Great Omission. Right? It's a play on words with the Great Commission because the Great Commission is our mission to make disciples. But Dallas Willard said, we have omitted that. It's the Great Omission. We don't do it anymore. And this is what he said about it. He said, for at least several decades, the churches of the Western world have not made discipleship a condition of being a Christian. One is not required to be or intend to be a disciple in order to become a Christian. Or one may remain a Christian by name only, right? In order to be, uh, one may remain a Christian without any sign of progress toward or in discipleship. So far as the visible Christian institutions of our day are concerned, discipleship clearly is not optional. Uh, discipleship clearly is optional. Because we have looked at our faith as something that we consume. We go to church now, right? Instead of being the church, we just go to church. Instead of serving, we consume services. But it's not the way it's supposed to be. We are the church. We are the servants. When we come here, we're not the audience. Okay? He is the audience. We are the actors. We are the servants. And finally, to just really cut this all off, I'm almost done. Okay? Do you guys know what this is? Have you guys seen this? This is the thing. Every year, except during COVID, this happens in Pamplona, Spain. Okay, this is called the running of the bulls. I know it's crazy. If you look at that, there's like raging bulls there and then you're running away from it because you don't want to be gored. That's the thing. People do this. Okay, look at this other picture here. Running of the bulls in Spain. It happens in July. Okay, it's scary, right? But look at the people there. Look at the people that are there. There are two types of people there. You guys, can you guys find them? Two types of people. Kelly's like, I know what you're talking. I don't know what you're going. I know what your I know what your point is. Two types of people. Number one, bystanders. The people that are just, you know, happy to go along with what's going on. And you know where you find them? You won't find them in the streets. They're up there. Oh sorry. Sorry. I just did that. Sorry. They are like they're like up there, right there. They're wearing the stuff, the white and the red. 
But there's, ah, yeah, this is going to be fun. Right? They're the bystanders. Do you think they're all in? No. The other type of people are the ones that are actually doing it. They're right there. Can you imagine this guy right here? Can you guys see the pointer? Can you, can you see this guy here? Do you think he's only in there physically? No. He's there emotionally too. And mentally as well. He's all in. Holistic discipleship calls us to not just be a bystander, but to be all in. Okay? Our song of invitation, or our, song, our closing song this, this, uh, this morning, is called, uh, Chad, what is it called again? Yeah, give me the heart of a servant. And the words go, and this is a prayer. So when you're singing this at home or here, when you're singing this, know that this is a prayer to God, right? We are praying to God when we sing this one in particular. Give me a heart, the heart of a servant. Um, um, oh, what is that? Uh, tender and faithful and true. Um, fill me with love and use me, O oh Lord, in every single way possible so that the world can see you. Let's, uh, uh, let's stand and sing.